Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Peter. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. All right, welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, let's thank our Lord and Savior tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for making this all possible for us by going to the cross, shedding his blood, and giving us newness of life and a chance to glorify him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. We're eternally grateful. I'd like to thank the core of the ministry to keep it going. One body, many parts. We're grateful and thankful for all the people who serve so faithfully in the ministry. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study? And we'll start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this beautiful opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather together to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about your ways, Lord, and less and less about our ways, Lord. Help us to make your ways our ways, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you give us, Lord, to transform us, Lord. Let us truly be transformed, Lord. And start to follow you, Lord, instead of our flesh and the devil, Lord. We're just so grateful that you give us a lot of grace and mercy and a lot of room to grow, Lord. Let us never abuse that, but use it to advance and move forward, Lord, to get closer to you, Father. As we're so grateful for everything you do for us, Lord, and all your generous provisions that you provide for us each and every day, Lord, to meet our needs. We say a special prayer for the people that just got into this accident or whatever might have happened over there in Smithfield, Lord, that you... Touch their lives somehow, Lord, and bring some resurrection power there, Lord. If there's people that are sick, that they find you, Lord, knowing that salvation is the most important thing in one's life, Lord, and that they might find it through this, Lord, through this tragedy. And I hope, Lord, that you help the people that are injured, Lord, and keep their families safe, Lord. And as always, let everything we do tonight, Lord, be led by your spirit and not our flesh. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord and get started.
He has done a lot of great things, right? And he's going to continue to do even greater things for us. All who are faithful to him and honor him. How's everybody doing tonight, all right? Better now, right? Halfway point, nothing better than coming to a Bible study on a Wednesday to get fed spiritually again for the rest of the week. Boy, it's crazy out there. You know, just like that thing that just happened. You never know. You could be anywhere and then your time is up. That's why it's so important to tell people about Jesus. You never know. You know, you never know when it's going to happen. Nobody's guaranteed another minute. All right, let's start off in Isaiah 55. But where are we? Verse 8, no way. It's the verse 8. Are you kidding me? Come on, no. Go back to verse 3. I love Isaiah 55. This is an awesome chapter right here. All right, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go into these scriptures, so please prepare your heart, clear your mind to receive the message the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay, verse 3, Isaiah 55. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. The very words of God are life. There's life in the words of God. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples? I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways. Now, when he says let the wicked change their ways, he's saying let the sinners change their ways. As, as the, the word wicked means sinner. This sounds really nasty, that word wicked. But it is. Sin is wicked. It's evil. And banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. Amen. Man, that's an awesome picture of God right there. Verse 8, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So it doesn't matter the people, anything I see. It says, when, I, when I preach the word of God, it always reaches where it has to reach. We don't know when it goes beyond these four walls, somebody's finding salvation tonight. God is speaking to somebody tonight through this message. That's why it's so important to just keep doing it, no matter if you get discouraged or what's going on. Just keep serving the Lord. He says it always produces what it has to do. 
It will accomplish all I want it to do, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into songs, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. He's saying he can make the desert into a, a place of abundance, like the land of Canaan. If you remember, Canaan was desolate before. Remember, they had to go to Egypt to get the food? Then Cain turned into the promised land, where it was full of grapes. They couldn't even carry them. God's the one who did that. He turned the desert into a, a fruitful place. So he can turn like a dead life, empty life, into a fruitful life. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's doing to us if you choose to follow him. Your, your life will never be fruitful if you stay in your flesh. But if you, if you try to walk in his ways and by his spirit, your life will be fruitful and it'll produce all kinds of fruit down here. And you'll do very, the very thing that you were created to do, bring others into the kingdom without any interference from our flesh, which always gets in the way of that. You can get an amen here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thank God for his grace and mercy, right? Begins to fresh every morning. I, I do this like every morning, like I tell everybody, I clean the slate. Whatever, if I had anything against anybody yesterday, it's gone. I call it holy amnesia. Just forget, let it go. Because God let everything I did go. And this way here, I can live in peace. I won't have any regrets or any bitterness in my heart. I'm free. Free in Christ. Amen? We've got to do what he says to do, though. You can't hold on to it. Resentment kills your spiritual life. <clears throat> Jealousy, all that stuff. All right, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Everybody remember where we left off? <laughs> yep. Who said that? Was that Mary? <laughs> verse 8, yeah. We're just going to, we're going to go to verse 8, but I just want to summarize what we went over last week. Remember when I was talking about, First Peter 3 starts with the advice for husbands and wife. Remember we were talking about that? Wives ought to live in a way that their inner beauty will shine through. Husbands ought to be considerate and respectful towards their wife. So nothing will hinder prayer. Peter then summarized by encouraging us to live in harmony with one another. We ought to set aside Christ Jesus as Lord and always be ready to give an answer for this hope we have in him. Then we are reminded to keep a clear conscience at all times, even when suffering unjustly. So it's so important for husbands and wives to get along so the prayers don't get hindered. You don't realize that you'll be praying and you want these prayers to get answers and husbands and wives are bickering and fighting. The, God's not hearing the prayer. It says it hinders the prayer. And like I said before, I don't want to be the one that hinders the prayers for the ministry to grow. And I hope everybody else here doesn't want to do that either for the benefit of others. Say, you know what, we're going to get along. We can agree to disagree on a lot of things. Me and my wife don't agree with it on everything, but we can agree to disagree and still walk together in harmony, amen? And not force our opinions on each other or force us to do what we want them to do. Big amen there, right? That's usually what it is. It's a control issue. It's a control issue. We want to control the wives. The wives want to control the husband, tell them what they do, what they shouldn't do, this, that, and the other thing. 
you know, you know, they ask for give advice when it's not asked for. <laughs> you get into trouble that way, you know. It's always good to be silent. The Bible says, "Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry." We do the other thing. We get quick to get angry, fast to speak, and slow to listen. <laughs> it's the opposite. The world's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. I've got to learn all this over again. You know, everybody has to. And we have to do it in the Spirit. All right, let's go to verse, verse 8. All Christians. It's going to talk about all Christians now. We went over the husbands and wives. Now we're going to talk about all the brothers and sisters. All right. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. All right? That's the mind of Christ. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Or show brotherly love. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. And he's talking about everybody in church. Every Christian should what? Love each other as brothers and sisters. Show brotherly love. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. That's something that we have to practice to do. Have to come to church with that same mindset. All right, now let me reiterate on that a little bit now. Peter lists five key elements that should characterize any group of believers. One mind, number one, right? One mind, pursuing the same goals. The second one is sympathy, being responsive to others' needs. Three, love, seeing and treating one another as brothers and sisters. Right? Four, tenderness, being affectionately sensitive and caring. And five, humility, being willing to encourage one another and rejoice in one another's successes. These five qualities go a long way towards helping believers to serve God well. So what is it saying? Being willing to encourage one another and rejoice in one another's successes. Like when somebody gets blessed in the church, we don't get envious of that. We get grateful and we thank, we're thankful and we want rejoice with that. Now get an amen here? We're grateful. We want our brothers and sisters to get blessed. We don't get envious of that. That's the world. The world, we don't get that. These five qualities are what every believer has to strive for. Right? One mind, all believe in Jesus. Be very sympathetic with people. Not hard. Love one another. Be tender-hearted. And have humility. Easier said than done, right? You have, you've been out in the world all day. It's been beating you up. You come into church with that same uh, growling because you had a hard day. And says, so, you know what? No. All that was designed to make you like Jesus. So when that's all said and done, you should be kind and tenderhearted. Can I get an amen here? Because God's the one who sent all that to you to change you. All right, look at verse 9. These are lessons that Christians have to learn that they won't apply and then they want more revelations from the Bible when these simple things come right to us. But we have to put them into practice. Paul said, put into practice everything you heard and learned from me. Then the God of peace will be with you. Verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. That is in us. We have the get-even spirit in us from the world. Somebody hurts me, I'm going to get even. And that's not, it says don't repay evil for evil. It says 
Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Now, when somebody throws an insult at you, what do you do? Do you say nothing? Or do you say, well, what about you? Or do you bounce it off of you? Then it says, instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. So you want to know what God's will is for you? He called you to do that. If somebody insults you, pay them back with a blessing. And that cannot be done in the flesh, my brothers and sisters. You can't do that in the flesh. Only through the Spirit of God can you accomplish that feat. When somebody's insulting you and talking bad about you and running, down, running you down, can you actually say, Lord, I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them because if you bless them, they'll probably stop doing that. You can win them over that way. All right. Before we go on now, I just want to say this. Where is God? How can we know God is real? Who says the Bible is any better than any other holy book? To answer these questions, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as living evidence. God also chose Peter and others to show what a difference true faith makes in the real world. So here, the once impulsive, belligerent, domineering, and arrogant Peter bears witness to a life of harmony, compassion, love, and humility. What a difference God makes. You too are God's witness to skeptical people. Listen now. Let your life be evidence of this truth. Let your pride become humility and your insensitivity give way to genuine affection for others. In our fallen world, it is often deemed acceptable by some to tear people down verbally or to get back at them if we feel hurt. Remembering, all right, Peter, remembering Jesus' teaching to turn the other cheek, Matthew 5.39, encourages his reader to pay back wrongs with blessings, such as by praying for the offenders. In God's kingdom, revenge is unacceptable behavior as is insulting a person no matter how indirectly it is done. Rise above getting back at those who hurt you. Instead of reacting angrily to these people, pray for them. Yeah. Just like we all felt compassion for them people when that car ran through that building, right? Now, you don't even know. Like you, you Hopefully, that if anybody's going to be um, passing on, that they're saved and went to be home be with the Lord. But just think about all the people that are not hearing about the Lord or anybody witnessing to them that don't even have an opportunity to go get to heaven. Because what? We're not saying anything. We're, 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 we're Christians, but we're not giving people the gospel with a life worthy of the call. Now, is that important? Absolutely. Why do you think God saved you? God saved you so we can help others get saved. Can I get an amen here? So when you keep it to yourself, you end up getting pregnant, right? We're not giving birth to anything. And you end up, what, losing everything that you gain, the Bible says. If you don't play it forward and use what you're learning, you forget everything that you learned and have to learn it all over again. So you have to keep it fresh in your mind. Say, all right, Lord, you're sending me on the mission field. You got up this morning with life in you, so I'm here to serve you, not myself. This morning, Lord, show me. Send me somebody that I can talk to Jesus. Talk, to, uh, talk about Jesus too. 
Ask him to do that, and he will. If your heart is in the right condition, believe me, you could wait, there'll be a lot of people that God will put in front of you to save them. But your heart has to be in the right condition. You have to want to do that. You have to willfully ask God to use you to do it. Instead of just saying to yourself and doing your normal mundane routine every day, ask God to, you know, light a fire under you. Lord, let me be of use to this world. Use me for what you created me to do. You know how mundane it can get. You get up every morning, got to go to work, get in the car, get in travel. The same routine over and over again. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? I'm glad I'm alive this morning. Who can I help today? Who can I show Jesus to? That's what gives you vigor in life. But when you stick sticking to yourself, you get what? You get into the mundane Christianity where it is comfortable and casual and it gets mundane and it becomes more of a hassle than a blessing because you're not using what you're learning. You have to use it. And guess what? God's going to send the people that you don't want to get saved into your life. And he's going to say, that's the one right there. I want you to tell them about me. I want you to show them me through you. That person that don't like you. Or that person that you don't like. That's the one. You see? He does, look, to show the Holy Spirit it has to be something against your nature. It has to be something against what you would do. Then you know it's God and not you. Right? Any men here? All right, look at verse 10. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, all right, how many of us want to enjoy their life down here? All right, and you want to see many happy days? All right, the Bible's going to tell you what to do. You want the formula? Here it is. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. If you can do them two things, you will have enjoy your life and see many happy days. Turn away from evil and do good. Then it says you have to search for peace, and then you have to work to maintain it. You know, you can, God will give you peace, right? The devil's going to send people to try to take that from you. You have to what? Work to maintain it. Say, nope, I'm not letting that in. I'm not, letting them, I'm not letting you in what you are evil because I'm blessed and I'm going to what? Glorify God. And I'm going to not accept what's coming at me. It's the devil. You have to understand if somebody's coming at you to insult you or make you steal your peace, it's not them. The devil's using them. So you don't feel like this Christian walk is like, oh man, what a hassle, this Christian walk. I thought I was going to get blessed. I mean, it's a hassle because you're looking at it in the flesh, not in the spirit. In the spirit, it's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for sending these evil people to me so I can show them my, your grace. Really, that's the spirit. The spirit wants that. The, the flesh doesn't want people like that, and they're like, well, get them away from me. They're nothing but cause a pain in my life. No, in the spirit, you want them to come because those are the ones that you can really witness to, can show a difference because you know that you're flat in your flesh you can't do anything like that. Then you know it's the spirit of God. Instead of shutting away, say, bring it. Come on in. Buy him a coffee. Take him a lunch. You see the difference it'll make. And get an amen here. Or an ouch, either one. Everybody thinks that if all these things were out of my life, there would be peace. That's not what gives you peace. 
What gives you peace is doing God's will and doing what he says even when you're suffering. See, when you're suffering, it should still bring you peace because you know it gives you an opportunity for endurance, to change. Because that's why suffering, unless we suffer, we won't change. There's no change any other way. We change through suffering. All right. It says, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Now, let me just reiterate on that. Too often, we see peace as merely the absence of conflict. Just like I just said, right? We see peace as the absence of conflict. And we think of peacemaking as a passive role. But an effective peacemaker actively pursues peace by building good relationships. A peacemaker anticipates problems and deals with them before they occur. Then when conflict arises, they are brought into the open and dealt with before they grow unmanageable. Making peace takes hard work. We have to search for it and work to maintain it. But it results in God's blessing. See, the blessings from God are peace. And material blessings do not give you peace. It's the inner blessings that give you peace. Knowing that God's in control. Whatever's sent my way, God's going to handle it. I can have peace no matter what storm is coming at me. That's what Christian growth is. That's what maturity it is. Not how many days you come to church or how many times you read the Bible. It's how you actually apply it to every situation in your life, knowing that God goes ahead of you and he sets up your whole day for you. One thing that has to happen, he has to be the Lord of your life, not you. He has to be the Lord of your life, not you. Whatever he sends is for your good. Big amen there, right? So now, that's, how, that's what maturity is all about. Well, why, don't, why don't Christians practice that? Because they don't grow. That's, people don't just want to come to church. I just want to get blessed. I want the blessings of Abraham. I want money. I want, pe- I want a great job and a great home. Trips all the time and beautiful life. If you're a true Christian, you will not enjoy life down here. Because a true Christian wants what? What God wants. Not what the world offers. It gets quiet though, because everybody wants peace and joy and all this. I want my life to go great. Did Jesus' life go great? Did he say, I'm not, I'm not helping anybody anymore because the devil's always attacking me and I'm getting spit at? Did he say, I'm going to stop helping people? No. I'm going to stop being a Christian because this is too hard for me. And this is where Christians get. Remember Jesus said it. We did it when we watched the video. Peter says, you guys, this is a hard saying. How can we accept it? He says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says, no, you have to become like me. That's what he's trying to tell everybody. You have to do what I do. So this is hard to accept. Who can, who can, who can actually accept it? And Jesus said, are you going to leave too? It's getting hard. Peter said, where are we going to go? Back to hell? <laughs> or are we gonna, you have the words that give eternal life. No matter how rough the course is, we have a Savior that has our backs always. We have to bring that to mind when the devil brings what? The wrong stuff to mind. Look, you know, you say the Lord loves you. Look what he's doing to you. 
He gets in there with the wrong voices and we start listening to it. And then we start barking at people. And we start barking at God. God, why are you doing this to me? Like you're questioning your creator. Why is this happening to me, Lord? Like you know more than he does. He knows exactly why it's happening. And he knows exactly what he's doing. As a matter of fact, he does and you don't. That's why you need him. Big amen, right? All right, look at verse 12. Now, this is, this is really good right here. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. So if you want God always to watch over you and protect you, what's he saying? Do right. Look, when you start doing the wrong thing and living sinful, you fall out of his grace pattern, and you get under the attack of the enemy. You leave an opening for the enemy to come in. Look what it says. I want you to hear this. Listen, highlight this. Let this. Listen to what it says here. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. So why do I got to do right? And his ears are open to their prayers. You see it? You can't live like the devil and think that God is going to hear you. Everybody's going oh, just pray for these people. Listen, if they're, they're not, God doesn't answer prayers that way. He answers prayers to people who do what's right. See it? And his ears are open to their prayers. Now look what it says. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Even Christians. You have to understand he's talking to Christians too. If you decide to do evil, don't expect the God to, to help you. He's going to turn his face. This is the Bible. People don't understand this. They mean, well, God can do whatever I want. Yeah, you're free to do whatever you want. But don't think you're going to escape the consequences and you're going to fall under God's, under God's wrath instead of his blessings. The more on Christians than the unbelievers. The unbelievers don't even know God. Christians know better. See, that's why God's hot on us. And he's quoting Psalm 34, 12 to 16, by the way, in there right there. Now he's going to talk about suffering for doing good. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. When somebody comes up to you, why do you believe all that stuff in the Bible? Do you have an answer for them? That's what it's saying. Always be ready. Because you never know when that question is going to come up. And if somebody asked me, it changed my life. That's what it did. It did for me what nothing else could do. It took me out of darkness and put me into light. That's exactly what it did. All right, now let's keep going. I'm going to read this. Let me read it right on this now. Instead of being afraid of people, believers ought to focus on Christ. This means regarding Christ as Lord in our hearts, where fear, fear normally dwells. You know what keeps a lot of people from serving God? Fear. Thinking that they won't be able to get it right when it's not going to be you. I remember the very first time that I got called to do this. One of my brothers from the other church that I was going to said, don't worry, John, look who's got your back. And that's what he said, and that just calmed me right down. He encouraged me with them words. Fear, the first time I came up, and I wish, I've ever watched um, The Road Runner, 
and they had that thing, the acme hole, they put the thing down and you fall in it. I was hoping there was a hole there that I'd fallen before I got up there. That's how fearful it was. I was so, I can, I'll never forget it. And that, those are the words he told me. Don't worry, John, he's got your back. It's not going to be you, it's going to be him. And the rest is history. Never turned back. Trusted the Lord ever since, and he took me from there to here. All the way. That's by just trusting him and being faithful to him. And he was faithful to me. <laughs> Amen? And, and it's in his time, not mine. Now listen. Peter says to replace fear with faith and honor. By acknowledging Christ as Lord, we can rest in him and have no fear. When believers honor him in their hearts, they have confidence that he controls events, that he reigns as king, and that all powers and authorities ultimately must answer to him. See, when you have that confidence, there's nothing to be afraid of. He's got it. What did Jesus say? You of little faith. If you had the faith as much of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. That's how much power is in faith. Some Christians treat faith as a personal matter that should be kept to oneself. While we shouldn't be boisterous or obnoxious in sharing our faith, we should always be ready to give an answer gently and respectfully when asked about our beliefs, life choices, or Christian perspective. Can others see your hope in Christ? Be prepared at all times to tell them what he has done in your life. See, if you want to be a real witness, you have to, he had to do something in your life. Something had to happen. He had to change you. Something happened to you. Something transformed you. So now you have something to experience, to tell somebody. Say, boy, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I just, just like you can't understand how the spirit comes. One day, I just, I couldn't get out of the Bible. I, my wife will tell you. It just happened. The switch came on. I heard the gospel, and that was it. I never turned back from then. Changed my life completely. Right around. That one was missing in my life because I was searching for everything else. Riches, glory, houses, all these things. And I was coming up empty every time. Then I heard the words of God. And I said, that's it. That's what's missing. It spoke to my heart. And ultimately changed me forever. And it wasn't anything but the words of God. That's all it was. That's what Je Jesus Christ is the word of God. So you hear that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's what following Jesus is, following the word of God. The word of God is what changed my life. If somebody asked me what happened, it changed my life, these words. They, they were just words until they came alive. Said, the word of God is alive and powerful. They spoke to me. And I hope they're speaking to you. So you could actually, listen, why, why, why are Christians so like this? Because they have, they're not on fire for God, what he did for you. He saved me. I was dead. Amen. Going nowhere in life. And no purpose at all. Right. And now I have a purpose. Well, now that I found that, I don't need anything else. This is all I need. This is my vacation right here. This is all I need. It fulfills everything. If I want to see water, plants, and trees, I'll go in my backyard. There's plenty of them. That's all there is. There's nothing wrong with going away to get away from, you know, it's crazy, but I'm saying that's not, that's not the center of my life. 
center of my life is this, Jesus. And what I can do for him, that's what fulfills me. As a matter of fact, coming back from vacation is what it kills me. It's like, oh my God, I've got to put all this stuff back. I'm like, yeah, like this. It's like, I don't get like that when I leave church. I'm full of life again. It rejuvenates me. It energizes me. Why? Because I'm letting my spirit lead me, not my flesh. See, if I come to church in the flesh, it's like, oh, I heard that sermon before. Yeah, but maybe somebody else didn't. And they need to find salvation. So you're there to encourage them. So many times you heard it, but can you apply it? You can hear it a million times. Repetition is the key to retention. I say that all the time. You have to hear it over and over again. And one day the switch comes on. Oh, I get it now. Finally, I get it. That's what happens. Just like the Bible says, when the right time came, God sent his son. When the right time came into your life, Jesus showed up. That moment in time when he came in and you accepted him. That was it. That wouldn't have happened. It couldn't have happened any earlier or any after. It was that one moment in time when he knew that your heart was open to receive him. And nobody can force that on anyone. It's only through the Spirit. Amen. So you never know. That's why you keep praying for people saying, you know what? Someday something's going to happen and maybe the switch will come on for them. Maybe it won't, but we never give up, the Bible says. Okay. Verse 16. Look what it says now. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. You get Christians all the time arguing about the, 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 the pre-rapture and this and that and all these things instead of just saying we all love Jesus. Look, do this in a gentle, respective way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. You see the difference? They can say whatever they want about you, but your life will show different. Because you belong to Christ. See, fear of the Lord is the key to life. Because when you fear and reverence the Lord, you live in a certain way because you, you know the consequences. By not living that way, because you have a fear of God. He can do whatever he wants to you. He can cause a lot of suffering in a believer's life. All right, verse 16 now, listen, you might not be able to keep people from speaking evil against you, but you can at least stop supplying them with ammunition. See, you hear what I'm saying? If you give people reason to speak evil of you, you give them ammunition. But if you don't give them anything to speak evil, look, at least stop supplying them with ammunition. As long as you do what is right, the accusations will be empty and only embarrass them. Keep your conduct above criticism. Verse 17. Now listen to what it says. We're hearing some real meaty stuff in Peter for tonight. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Now, most people, they do good. What do they want? I want a lollipop because I did good today. That's what we teach the kids, right? You be a good boy, and here you go. Here's an ice cream cone. But really, there is no reward for doing right. It's something you're supposed to do. There shouldn't be a reward for that. 
What's that, Joe? That's right. Oh, you're a good boy. Here's a chocolate bar. Look, it says, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good. So here's what happens. Christians go out and do good, and then somebody says something to them, and they suffer for it, and then we get all bitter about it. So, so much for doing good. Just like Jeremiah, remember? They were all, he was preaching about judgment and for them to turn and repent. And they were criticizing him and they were trying to kill him. And they did everything wrong. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stop talking. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm going to stop talking about Jesus. I'm going to talk, stop talking about God. And he said, but something inside him burned that he could not not do it. You get an amen here. Because when you're a slave to Christ, it doesn't matter what the consequence is. Paul was in jail, in stocks, for preaching the gospel. He was shipwrecked, suffered all day, endless nights, no food, anything else. But he didn't say, I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. It made him do it even more. Because he knew he was suffering for the will of God. Suffering with Jesus. A mature Christian has no problem suffering for the Lord. Matter of fact, I suffer for the Lord all the time. All the time. I hear people coming up against me, talking about me, this, that, and the other thing. That doesn't stop me. God said, I'm going to hide in your foot. You go and do it. You're accountable to me, not them. Right. Believe me, I get blessed. When somebody comes and criticizes me, I get blessed. Because I still do the will of God. So whatever, bring it. Say whatever you want. doesn't matter. Because I get blessed when somebody does it. And I what? Brush it off and don't retaliate. Because you know how it is. It's always the preacher that gets it. When they don't like something God's saying in the Bible, they come after me, the messenger. He must have been talking about me. God talks about his kids. Yeah, he does. God does speak to all of us. So really, you're not mad at me. You're mad at God because he's confronting you through me. <laughs> Believe me, to, to come up here and be a, a, a pastor, or a, is I never thought, I, I don't have the capacity to do it. In my flesh, I could ne I would walk away a long time ago. The pain and agony of what you have to endure to keep going, say, is it worth it? Absolutely. It's worth it. To see one person go into the kingdom is worth it. That I made a difference in someone's life. Amen. Because I fought through it. And I didn't walk away. And I still prayed for my enemies. Because if you're preaching the truth, you're going to have enemies, even in church. They're going to call you a legalist, this, that, and the other thing, because they, can't, they don't want to live right. But the Bible commands us to live right so people can see Jesus. All right. <laughs> Look at verse 18. Christ suffered, right, for our sins once and for all times. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He died so you could be with God when you die. Okay? He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. 
Do you realize when you're born again, it's the same thing? You're resurrected in the spirit. The only thing stopping you from actually operating it is your flesh. You have this, or everything you need to walk with God. And say no to your flesh. You have everything you need. You know what gets in the way? Our emotions. And what we see instead of our faith. God said, everything I need is already done. It's already in me. I have everything I need to walk this earth like Jesus did. Now it's up to me if I want to use it. We all have it. And guess what? It's not a feeling. It's a fact. All right, so now let's keep reading here. That, uh, or in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Look at verse 19. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Just think about this. Eight people. When millions, how about the promised land? How many people got in the promised land? Eight, no. Two. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they, they followed him wholeheartedly and they had a different spirit than the rest of the people. So don't think that the, so many people are coming to the kingdom. He says the road is narrow. The gate is narrow and difficult. And only a few ever find it. Think about it. How many are here? Eight. <laughs> here we are. There's eight of us here right now, right? Let's get in the boat. Go home. The road that leads to life is narrow and difficult, Jesus said, and very few ever find it. Why? Because they don't press on through their feelings and their emotions into their spirit life. They let their feelings control them still. Instead of their faith. Feelings have to be replaced with faith. I'm going to have the faith to not obey my feelings anymore. I'm going to obey what God said in the Bible. Not what I'm feeling. All right. We're going to have to close in a couple of minutes here. But let me just reiterate on verses 18 to 20. The meaning of preaching to the spirits in prison is not completely clear what he's saying here. And commentators have explained it in different ways. The traditional interpretation is that between his death and resurrection, Christ announced salvation to God's faithful followers who had been waiting for their salvation during the whole Old Testament era. Another is that Christ's spirit was in Noah as Noah preached to those imprisoned by sin, but now in hell. Still others say that Christ went to Hades to proclaim the triumph of the resurrection, his victory over sin and death, and the final condemnation to the fallen angels who had been imprisoned there since Noah's day. Okay? In any case, the passage shows that Christ's good news of salvation and victory is unlimited. While some Bible passages as this one may remain unclear, we can discover certain truths from them as we keep in mind the context of the rest of Scripture. In this passage, we discover these truths. God speaks... While we puzzle over what, where, and how, we can see that God loves to communicate with his people in the world. Two, God triumphs. Jesus Christ victoriously preached, indicating his power, control, and transcendence 
over all creation. Three, God saves. God exerts himself to rescue those who desire him. This mysterious passage tells us at least this much, and this much indeed. How do we feel about that? Verse 21, And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Now listen, I like this. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God, from our appeal to God, well, for a, in a, for a, from a clean conscience. You see it? As a clean conscience is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is the real baptism? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes in the believer's heart when they believe. It's not the water. It's not the water that saves you. It's the baptism of the Spirit. Remember when Jesus, when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go in the water to get the Spirit. You get the Spirit the moment you believe He puts the Spirit inside you. If you want to go and get baptized or get dunked in the water as a testimony that you belong to Jesus, that's fine. But that's not what you have to do to get saved. You get saved by believing. And He washes away your sins with His blood. Water can't wash away sins. The only thing that can cleanse our sins is blood. That's why they had to what? Sacrifice animals back in the Old Testament for the sins, right? They didn't, they didn't use water. What did they do? They killed innocent animals and shed their blood for the forgiveness of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Can I get an amen here? If you want to get, you know, dunked in the water, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? If you want. But the guy, remember the guy on the cross with Jesus? Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you've got to get off the cross, get in the water first, then come back up here. He was saved because he believed. And then people make that a condition of salvation. It's not a condition of salvation. It's just a testimony that you are. That's all it is. But you know what's even better than getting dunked in the water? Showing it by a life of it, that you are saved. Letting people see an example that you are saved. Anybody can get dunked in the water and then go live like the devil. It doesn't change you. Don't you wish it did? Don't you wish you could take a shower and wash away all your sins? If it was that easy, then we wouldn't need Jesus. But it's not. Okay. In verse 21, Peter says that Noah's salvation from the flood symbolized baptism. The flood, okay? In baptism, we identify with Jesus Christ who separates us from the lost and gives us a new life. The ceremony doesn't save us. Rather, the ceremony confirms our faith in Christ's death and resurrection. That's all it does, okay? Baptism is a symbol of the cleansing that happens in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ. Okay? By identifying himself with Christ through baptism, Peter's readers could resist turning back, even under the pressure of persecution. Public baptism would keep them from the temptation to renounce their faith. You see? They did it in public to say, no, you can't go back. See, you, you, you went in, you got baptized, you let everybody know that you're a Christian, now you can't go back. It absolutely helped them from, saying, from renouncing it. And get an amen here. Amen. 
So if you want to get dunked, I'll hose you off after church if you want. Come downstairs and I'll, I'll, I'll wash you. You want to get wet? Come on. I might have got a faucet in the front. It leaks too. So I'll get you wet. <laughs> Let's finish this. <laughs> Verse 22. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Now, my question to you is, do you accept his authority over your life? That's the question. Now, let me just say something before we close. Peter now exalts Christ and his victory over everything, all angels and authorities and powers. Peter himself had been an eyewitness to Christ's ascension. Okay, he had watched as Jesus was taken up into a cloud, Acts 1-9. When Jesus ascended, he went to sit in authority and favor at the right hand of the Father in heaven, Mark 16-19, Ephesians 1-20, Hebrews 4-14. At the Father's right hand, Christ has royal power and dignity as a result of his resurrection, Matthew 22-44. Christ's authority includes everything on earth and in heaven, all is subject to him, one day when he comes to judge, his power and authority will be made known to everyone. The Bible says every, every, tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. One way or another. Willingly or unwillingly. Alright, we're going to close there. Thank you for letting me share that. Dave, you want to come up and close us? And we'll get into chapter 4 when we get back together again. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for this opportunity you give us each week to gather together in your house and hear your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray that your presence would always be with us, Lord. It's with your presence, Lord, that we truly can find joy, a joy that the devil could never steal from us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would come to you and your word each day for guidance and direction, Lord, seeking your will for our lives, Lord, and a desire to live a life that is truly pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, I pray all this in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks, Dave. Thank you. All right, we're going to watch a video and close.